Thank you, choir, praise team, orchestra, Miss Donna, band. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. It's great to see you. Wow, I had not been out of the pulpit for months and months, and so you needed a break from me, and you got a word from Pastor Mike. He shucked the corn really well last week, and I appreciate him so much, and I'm so glad to be back with you. We're in this series in 1 John, um, Blessed Assurance talking about light, love, and life with Christ. And, you know, we were just away for a few days last week. We got the family away and had a great time. And we're heading out this afternoon, and I want to give you guys a praise report. Um, a couple of the girls are staying. Me, Miss Cindy, and Bobby are heading over to Greensboro because we're packing up a U-Haul. And on Tuesday, Heather and Parker and, yes, Lord Jesus, Miss Lucy, they are coming to Knoxville, Tennessee. So we're excited we are excited, and if there are any big, strong guys or gals that want to uh, move furniture on Wednesday morning, see Miss Cindy. We would love to talk to you, okay? Um, we're going to do it all ourselves and help them out and maybe uh, help them save a little bit in their transition. So we're excited that they're on their way, and um, now you just got to pray they'll find a good church home. Let's say this verse together, guys, all right? Let's go to 1 John 2, 3. Let's say it. Ready? Join me. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That's a good verse, isn't it? Let's say it again. Let's put some blanks in it. Ready? Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Good. Now y'all remember that this week, all right? Remember that on July 4th. What did we learn a few weeks ago when we were here, just before Father's Day? What did that great theologian, Miss Whitney, teach us? How will I know? What did the background singer say? Don't trust your feelings. How will I know? All right. How will I know? Love can be deceiving. All right, so we're going to stick with the musical theme for a few weeks. Today, Overcomer. Y'all heard that song, Overcomer? Mandisa released that in 2013. Love, love, love me some Mandisa, great artist. I know she's been here. She's led here in worship at Grace, and uh, I'd love to get her back. Maybe uh, Danny Goki. I think she and Danny were touring together a few years back, so um, they're great. In fact, Heather, our daughter, carted them around when they were working in Central North Carolina, so she got to spend some time with them. Next week, by the way, uh, we're going to continue the musical theme. I'll go ahead and give you a preview, but we're not going to do Contemporary Christian. We're going to go to a sermon I'm going to title, Looking for Love. <laughs> do y'all know how that Song goes, Urban Cowboy, all right? So, today, Overcomer. We are a nation of overcomers. Think about it. Think about it. The Bible never teaches us to merely cope or just get along. The Bible never teaches children of God to simply band-aid their problems. The Bible teaches that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We will overcome just as Christ overcame. That's what the Word of God teaches. But sometimes Christians can live a little defeated, right? But what does that declaration declare? There's a lot of declaration here, but what are we doing here? July the 4th, what are we remembering? We remember that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator, capital C, with certain unalienable rights 
And among these are life, liberty, and true liberty only comes in Christ, and the pursuit of happiness. And true happiness and joy is only found in Jesus. And so we are a nation of overcomers. We've got to quit whining, Christians. We've got to quit walking around with our heads down. Woe is me. Look at what's happening in the world. Look at what's happening in our nation. What's going on? Oh, my word. Get over yourself. Because the theme of the Christian church should not be nobody knows the trouble. The theme of the Christian church should be victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Right. That is our theme. You know, I wanted to quit so bad. I had gone straight through in my master's work as fast as I could, doing my master's in Greek and Hebrew, and I got through that degree, and uh, I was encouraged by our seminary president to keep going, and I started my PhD, and in, in the throes of all of that, we had our second child, and then our third child, and then our fourth child. We tore all of our church facilities down. We rebuilt the church there in northwest North Carolina from the ground up. It was booming and growing, and God was moving, and things were happening, but we were busy, and I was tired all the time. And I got in the throes of that PhD, and I did all the coursework, and then I had everything but that stinking dissertation left, 300-plus pages just blank staring me in the face that I had to fill with original research. <laughs> I'm supposed to show I'm smart or something. Yeah, right. PhD means post-hole digger. It doesn't mean you're that smart. So I, I just was so frustrated. I didn't want to keep going. And then, to the glory of God, my Holy Spirit with skin on, that beautiful dark-haired girl, said, honey, you, you've come this far. You can't quit. You can't give up. You just need to carve out the time, and you just need to knock it out. You've never, ever quit anything you've started. And you know what? She was right. I just had to keep going. I just couldn't stop. But everybody here that's lived long enough has reached a point in your life where you've almost quit. Some of you have almost given up on life itself. Some of you have a child or a friend, a parent that just didn't keep going. The reality is that John is talking to a bunch of Christians that are in the midst of some real challenges. Some heresies are springing up all around them like Gnosticism. We've talked about that. And John is trying to say, don't quit. You've got everything you need to keep going and be victorious, and you are victorious. Like one of our pastor's prayer partners reminded me this morning, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. We are already victors in Christ. And so when we come to this section, we have a little song, a little poem. Most modern English translations get this right, and in your Bible, if you have a paper copy, but even if it's digital, you'll notice it's indented. It's set out. It's kind of like a little poem right here in the midst of chapter 2. It's the only thing like it in the entire book of 1 John, in fact. And so let's look at this little poem of assurance and encouragement and find your place here. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. 1 John 2, 12. 2.12, John the elder says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, 
because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Are we catching the repetition, the pattern? I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have, here's that word again, overcome the wicked one. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this little poem, this song of encouragement. Not only did John's readers need it nearly 2,000 years ago, I believe we need it today. Sometimes people in the church seem to have a defeatist attitude. Sometimes we have this sense in which Things are getting darker and darker. Well, Lord, we know that it gets darkest right before dawn. And we know what your word says about how things will devolve in a way until Christ brings the consummation of the age. But Lord, we should never walk around heads down defeated. We are overcomers in Christ. That should not breed cockiness, but it should breed confidence in every true child of God. So speak to every heart today, those in the room, those that would be watching now and later. Lord, I pray that you would draw men and women and boys and girls to yourself. We're seeing people get saved every single week. We're seeing the waters of the baptistry consistently stirred in this place. And Lord, we're humbled, we're grateful, but we are confident in Christ. And so we thank you for what he's doing and will do in these moments we have together. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said... Amen. Be seated if you would. So I'm going to show you guys four realities if you're a child of God. Four realities you can claim if you're a child of God. Before I do that, though, let me just get a couple of things out of the way. What I just read for you was six sentences, each beginning with the form of the verb to write. What you're always looking for in biblical hermeneutic or interpretation is patterns. There's a pattern here, six sentences starting with grapho or a form of the word grapho like you would get uh, graphic. It's Greek to write. So I write or I have written to you. It's in variant forms here, but six times John repeats. And then he gives a, a group Dynamic with a label, first little children, then fathers, and then he says young men. Now, why? He's already said in the book, and he will say again, that we're all little children, Christians, because he's an elder statesman. This is John the Apostle. He's now very, very advanced in age, and he's sort of saying, you're my children in the faith, so you're all little children. Most Bible scholars don't seem to think this is pointing strictly to chronological age. And ladies, let me get this out of the way. This would be um, uh, masculine. It, it's, just, it's just the generic masculine. T take no offense in that biblically. It would be just like me saying to my family, although I have three daughters if, if, and a son, if I said, hey guys, come on. Well, the guys doesn't imply that my daughters are not daughters. It simply is a generic use of masculine. And the Bible employs that quite frequently. And so when you think little children, that could be male, female, fathers. That could be fathers, mothers, young men. Could be young men, young women. And so if it's not biological age, what is it? Well, there are a couple of categories. Some people would say, well, we're all little children. But some are more mature in the faith, fathers, and some are less mature in the faith, young men. Some would say, well, there are three different categories of spiritual maturation. You actually have little children who are neophytes, young in the faith, and fathers who are advanced. And then you have young men in the middle. That seems a little odd because they're not in the order we would expect. It doesn't say little children, then young men, then fathers. So from youngest to oldest spiritually. So what is the answer? Doesn't matter. And I don't know. 
The reality is that Bible scholars don't all agree on it. The point is he's absolutely, definitely, 100% writing to Christians. And the most common interpretation, and the one I particularly hold, is that he's saying wherever you are in your spiritual life. So we're all little children in a sense. But some of us are older in the faith. Some of you have been Christians many decades. Some of us are newer in the faith. Some of you have been Christians uh, mere days or weeks or months. But John is trying to say, I have some promises about your spiritual condition, your spiritual state. I have some truths that apply to all of you. I'm writing to true Christians in the faith. So wherever you are in your walk with Christ. Now, if you say, well, pastor, this sounds okay, except I'm not a Christian. Then listen to what I'm about to tell you in love. If you are not yet a Christian, none of these truths apply to you yet. They can Hold on, you're sitting there, young people, teenagers, adults, precious seniors. You're saying, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not a Christian. Okay, that's honest. I can deal with honesty, but these don't apply to you yet. They can before you leave here today. They can apply to you in the next few minutes if you'll call out and trust Christ. And I'll explain how to do that at the end of the service, but watch this. For all of us who have trusted Christ either recently or a long, long time ago or anywhere in between. Look, number one, you're an overcomer because you are forgiven for God's glory and your good. You are forgiven for God's glory and your good. In light of all the warnings John has given us earlier in this book, people may think that he's fundamentally dissatisfied with his spiritual children, but that's really not true here. He's really trying to say, I want to encourage you. I want to inspire you. I want to push you forward in the faith. What does verse 12 say? Let's read it again. I write to you, little children, because, for, this is the reason I'm writing, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Why are your sins forgiven you? Why has your record been expunged? Why is all clean and clear? For his name's sake. And what is forgiven? He's very specific. Your sins. Your specific sins. Sins, anything you've ever thought, said, done, or not done that has displeased God, anything that is short of God's perfect standard, anything that misses the mark, completely forgiven for his name's sake. And when the Bible says for his name's sake, it means for the reputation and glory of God. Think about Psalm 23.3. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory. To put a smile on his face, Isaiah 48, 9, God said, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. 1 Samuel 12, 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his name's sake, for it pleased the Lord to take you as a people unto himself. So John is greeting them, little children, fathers, young people, and he writes this chant, this poem, this song. And he uses a lot of repetition. Why? Well, why do artists use repetition today? You know, a good artist can take a good hook and make a hit. But an artist needs a hook. How will I know? You're an overcomer. I was looking for love. You know what it says. So you need a hook. You need something to grab people. Well, John is going to use repetition. I write, I write, I've written, I write, I've written. And he's using a hook, and he's saying, I want you to remember what you have in Christ. It doesn't just apply to baby Christians. It applies to all Christians. It's a basic, fundamental understanding of our faith. 
Young Christians will, well, all Christians, but particularly young Christians will often say, but I'm still struggling with this sin or that sin. Even us who have been Christians a while will say, why do I continue to war with that? Why am I struggling with that? I'm supposed to be a Christian. Then the enemy starts to come in and whisper into your ear, maybe you're, maybe you're not a Christian. Real Christians wouldn't do that. Real Christians don't say that. Real Christians don't think that. Look at that. Real Christians don't act that way. Am I the only one that's ever had the enemy whisper that in my ear? Okay, good. We're a bunch of heathens in the room. Okay. So, y'all know what I'm saying. You get this sense in which the enemy's trying to get you to doubt, to deny who you are in Christ. Paul struggled with the same thing. John at times struggled with this. And yet, what John is now trying to say in his spiritually mature state is, look, whether or not you're part of the family of God is not about what you do. You can have more assurance of salvation if you'll keep his commandments, and we want you to keep his commandments, and you should strive to keep the commandments of God by the Holy Spirit of God. But notice the language very carefully in verse 12. I write to you, because your sins are forgiven. It could be translated, have been forgiven. Some of your Bibles may say that. The verb is in the perfect tense. I won't get deeply into that. I'll simply say in Greek it means it's a verbal action that occurred in the past, but it produces a state that is still active in the present and good for the future. The perfect tense. We don't really have anything quite like it in English. But in John's day, he wrote this inspired by the Holy Spirit to say this. Your sins were forgiven the moment you trusted Christ. Your sins are forgiven right now today as you read this letter. Your sins will forever be forgiven. It reminds us of tetelestai, paid in full. You say, well, I don't understand that. How can something be like that? Well, imagine you're drowning in financial debt. you got house payment, car payments, student loans, credit cards piled up. And a couple with great wealth hears about your terrible financial state, and they decide to do something about it. Meanwhile, you're laying in bed at night, you're racking your brain, you're wondering, am I going to buy groceries or am I going to pay the light bill? What's it going to be this week? Some of you have been there. Some of you may be there today. You know the strain that causes. Well, you're worried out of your mind, but all of a sudden statements begin to come in that say this debt is paid and that debt is paid and you don't owe on the electric bill and you don't have to make another car payment there and you're going, what is happening here? So the wealthy couple takes you out to lunch, and they sit you down, and they say, look, we knew that you were struggling, but God has so richly blessed us, we wanted to pass it on and be a blessing to you. So all your debts are paid in full. You go, I can't believe you do that for me. Wow, thank you so much, and yet in your brain, you still have worry. Why? Why are you still having this worry nagging you? Because you know the bills will keep coming in. You know there's more credit card junk out there. You know that there's more debt sitting out there. Just kind of like you out there today saying, but I just keep on sinning. I just keep on sinning. Imagine the couple now extends the conversation. And this wealthy couple says to you, by the way, we knew that you'd probably get worried that although all your past debt was paid, you were going to incur some more debt. So we've put enough money in your account to cover any debt you could possibly have for the rest of your life. <laughs> Woo! I'm going to just throw it out there if any of y'all are feeling that way today. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there to you. I got a really poor daughter and son-in-law with a really cute baby. No, kid. 
you'd be mind blown. You wouldn't have to worry again. Now, 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 now watch, watch. If you were going to show your gratitude to them, would you be stupid and go spending money unwisely and rack up more debt beyond what they paid? No. A grateful person would live within the means that they'd provided for. Are you following me, Christian? All your sin when you say yes to Jesus is cleansed, wiped away, cast as far as east from west, buried in the sea of forgetfulness. The moment you say yes to Christ, what he did 2,000 years ago is now applied to your life. The blood is applied. You are cleansed from the sin of the past, from the sin of the present day, and some of y'all are going to have it before you get out of the parking lot. I guarantee it. And it's all applied for every sin that will happen tomorrow. Are you following me? So what are you worrying about? Oh, but I keep doing this. Well, confess it and be done with it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Be done with it. You see, Jesus paid it all. You're an overcomer because you are presently forgiven for God's glory and your good. You are an overcomer because you know the one true God. Look at 13 and 14. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. And little children, you've known the Father. He says it a third time. Verse 14, I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Known, known, known. You know the one true God. If you know the God of the Bible, the God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, if you know him, then you're an overcomer. So, John is saying here, now why does he say, I write, I have written, I write, I have written? Don't sweat that. It's just, again, like a song. It's like repeating things over. So whether he says it, I write you, like from his perspective, or I have written you, like it's from your perspective as the reader, don't get hung up in that. It doesn't change the interpretation. And don't get hung up in the repetition. It's a poem. It's a song. I write you because you've known him. And he says specifically, who is from the beginning? That's what verse 13 says. Who is the one from the beginning? Well, Genesis 1.1, God we know in the beginning, God created. Barashith bara Elohim. We find in three Hebrew words, five English words, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created. You get that right, you're going to get most of the rest of it right. But then... We bring Jesus in in John, same John, John 1, 1, in the beginning, same phraseology, but now in Greek, in the beginning, God, right, from Genesis 1, 1, now, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word, the Logos, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What do you mean the Word was with God? Jesus, a picture of Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, who was hovering there over the deep. The, the triune God so he's talking about specifically Christ, specifically the one who is from the beginning here. What does he mean, you've known him? What does he mean? Well, it's gnosko. Again, it's the perfect tense, meaning you have known him, you continue to know him, and you will know him. And to be an overcomer and to have assurance that you're right with God today, this is not about how many facts you have in your head about God. It's not how many facts you know about Jesus. Can I win a Bible drill? Can I find the verse quicker than you? Those things are fun and good and nothing wrong with it, but it's not about that. It's not about knowing facts. It's about knowing God. What's the difference, Pastor? It's a good question. What if someone I had never met before came to my door late one night, say it's 2 in the morning, they start sharing all kinds of facts about me. Hey, 
probably am not going to open the door, but if I did open the door and they said, hey, you're Bobby Ray Lewis Jr. I'm Bobby Ray. Did y'all know that? I don't know if I've ever told you that. I'm country as cornbread and possum pudding, y'all. I'm just telling you. So, uh, Bobby Ray, Bobby Ray Lewis Jr., you're Bobby Ray Lewis Jr., and your wife is Cindy, and you have four kids, and you have a grandbaby, and you have this and that, and you pastor Grace Baptist Church, and, you do, 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 and they just rattle off all these facts. Can I come in? <laughs> you're going to be looking down the barrel of my security system. No. No, you can't come in. You Google me. You watched a couple of sermons. I talk about my family a lot. No, you don't know me. But what if Uncle Larry comes by? Aunt Becky or Diane or Cousin Brian or James or any of my kin. If my folks come to the door, if somebody I know comes to my door, they don't have to tell me a single fact. They just come in. Why? They're family. Are you part of God's family? Are you part of the family of God? How do I know that I'm part of the family of God? Have you said yes to Christ? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God who loves you, who paid the price for your sin, who died to pay your sin debt and mine, who was buried and raised by the power of God the third day? Do you believe that? He said, yeah, but there are a lot of things about Jesus I don't understand. Wait, 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 wait. This is not about knowing just a set of facts. Do you believe in the, the person, the God-man, Jesus? Do you believe? If you believe, have you received him? Have you told God I believe? Have you told God I want to turn away from sin and myself and I want to trust Christ and Christ alone? Have you told him? If you've told him, you've believed and you've confessed, then the Bible says, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have been adopted into the family of God. You are his child. Quit listening to the whispers of the enemy. You are in the family. Now quit acting like crazy Uncle Buck, but you are in the family. You're in the family, and you know God. But be careful. James 2.19, you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe and tremble. Be careful. He said, oh, I know a bunch of facts about the Lord, but I don't have to live a certain way. Oh, really? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7.21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father. He said, now wait a minute. Is this thing about Christianity about faith or about works? Uh-huh. It's about faith that works. Not faith or works, not faith and works. Faith works. That's pretty good. You can write it down. It's free today only. <laughs> Biblical faith just works. It will manifest itself. I love Miss Cindy. I think y'all know I love Miss Cindy. She is hot. Our view count, they told me. It went through the roof when they showed a close-up of her on the screen. Woo! That woman. But if I never acted like I loved her, if she never had to push me away and push me away, which she does because I'm pawy sometimes, if, if I never acted like I love her, y'all would say, well, I don't know about them. I love her and you know it because it's manifested in the way I live my life and act and talk and drool and everything else, okay? They ought to know. They ought to know we're Christians because we love our Lord. We honor him. We're not perfect. We honor him. You see, not only a matter of us knowing him, he's got to know us. As he said, I'll declare to those who called out to me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. 
You must know God personally and he must know you. When you do, you're an overcomer. You're forgiven for his glory and your good. You know the one true God relationally. You know if you know him. Come on, let's be honest. You know if you know him relationally today. And if you don't, we'll give you a chance to in a few minutes. Third truth, you're an overcomer because you have victory over the wicked one. 13 and, and uh, 15, it actually repeats a couple of different times, but we won't get into 15. We'll, we'll stay here. I'm sorry, 13 and 14. Uh, Nikau, I, I've got a message on this later in the series, so i got to hold it. I can't give it away today. But this Greek word means to win a victory, to have a, a conquest, and it's in the perfect tense. Again, it means a permanent victory after conflict. So not only did we win the battle, now will we stay victorious or not? No, no, no. You won and you'll forever be victorious. That's what it means in the tense that he uses. It's like Paul said to the Roman Christians, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or whoever's in the White House? Hello? That wasn't in there, but you can add it. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Oh, you think we have it bad, Christians, in 2021? <laughs> no. But in all of these things, in all of the persecution, in all of the famine, the nakedness, the danger, we are, what's the next line, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the what? Love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. And if you're in a relationship with somebody and you really love them and they really love you, nothing can separate you. Distance and time, nothing can separate you. Do you have that with the Lord? Satan is defeated, guys. He's like a serpent with his head cut off. Let me say it in East Tennessee language. Uh, he's like frog legs in a frying pan. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever watched frog legs in the frying pan? What do they do, guys? They jump. And if you've never seen frog legs cooking, if y'all have never eaten frog legs, y'all need to get right with Jesus today, okay? <laughs> They're delicious. I'll take you frog gigging. I'll show you how to cook frog legs. Salt and pepper, Lord, help. Listen, they're jumping, but that frog is deader than dead, man. He's not hopping anywhere. Anybody ever chopped a snake's head off? Okay. What happens? Do they just flop over and stop, or do they, they keep moving? It's scary, right? Have y'all seen that? That's scary. But can he hurt you anymore? Of course not. You said, but... Pastor, you don't know me. I, I feel so defeated. Don't trust your feelings. Hello? Oh, see? Quit trusting your feelings. The heart is deceitfully wicked. It will lead you astray. Never follow your heart. Lead your heart by the word of God. Trust what God has said. You are an overcomer. You have victory. Oh, but I just, the devil made me do it. No, he did not. Don't you ever say that to me. Stop coping. Start overcoming. Yes, the serpent may be close by, slithering, but he is headless. Keep on the armor of God. Stand and stand firm against his schemes. You cannot be defeated. But some people are afraid of the strangest thing. I found a snake skin. How you doing? 
It was a good size snake skin. It was at the back door entrance to the office. I had scared a few people in the office, okay? I repented later. It's all good. But I scared a few people. Pastor Mike Floyd has a deep and abiding fear of snakes. Brother really does not like snakes. So Ted, our head of security, actually heard when I got the snake skin and brought it in, because it's just a little old snake skin, and I brought it in, and, and Mike saw it, and he said, ah, and he started running. Literally, Ted said he put his hand on his weapon, ran down the steps, thinking somebody was attacking one of our ladies. <laughs> True. Hand to the Lord, right? Hand to the Lord. I'm not playing, y'all. So we had all this office drama, and I knew Mike would eventually have to come back in his office. So I got the snake skin, and I just delicately placed it under his desk. (laughs) Then I took out my phone, and I recorded this. You good? Oh, I'm fine. What are you doing? I'm <laughs> just taping, man. What did you did you put something somewhere? Nah, man. What is happening? What? I am worried now. What are you talking about? What? Oh, What you couldn't hear was he was running down the hall going, Frank, Frank, Frank. Because he knows Frank carries. So I love you, man, but that was too good not to use. I sat on that for a month, a month. Christian, Christian, Christian. Now talk to me all that don't trust Jesus yet. Christian. You being afraid of Satan is as silly as us being afraid of a snake skin. Can't hurt you. Can't do a thing to you. You can squeal and squall like a little girl all you want. No offense, little girls. (laughs) But Satan cannot hurt you. He is a defeated foe. Live in victory. Now, don't go playing in his playground. Don't go messing around. Don't go seeing how close you can get. Oh, the devil's right over there. I think, well, he's defeated. I'm going to, nah, don't do that. Don't be dumb. Stay away. Be smart. But he's defeated. You have victory over the wicked one. Fourth truth, you're an overcomer because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. He said, oh, that just sounds like the power of positive thinking. Thank you, Mr. Osteen. No. Look. The Bible says, I have written to you fathers because you have known him as from the beginning. Look at the second half of verse 14. I've written to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And again, he repeats, and you have overcome the wicked one. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And he talks about abiding. And when you abide you bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit. And you bear fruit that remains. And about 11 different times he says abide, remain, stay connected to me. Because like the branch, if you get disconnected from the vine, you will curl up and die. You can't live without me. 
So how did Jesus overcome Satan and temptation? Because he faced them by the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You said, oh, Pastor Bobby, there you go again. You sound like a broken record, man. It's always the word of God, the word of God. The word. Come back to the word of God. The day I stop telling you to let the word get in you as you get in the word, the day I stop coming back to the word of God is the day you ought to kick me to the curb because I'm not preaching truth anymore. The word of God abides in you. You say, well, I'm just strong because. No, you're not. You're strong if you're strong because the Word abides in you. The living Word, Jesus, the written Word, the Scripture, the Bible. Get into it and let it get into you daily, by the way, not just on Sunday. This Word is our offensive weapon against our enemy. Ephesians 6, 17 tells us it is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of the Lord. And we develop hope by listening to the voice of God. Oh, if I could just hear the voice of God. You are strong, and the word of God abides in you. You just heard the voice of God. Now mine, I wish I sounded like Adrian Rogers, James Earl Jones, I don't. What does God sound like? He sounds like you when you read his word out loud. Remember Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So quit trusting your feelings and start trusting what God has said about who you are. We don't need a culture with more self-esteem. We need a culture with more God-esteem. I am who I am because the Father tells me. I'm loved and I'm valuable and I'm forgiven and I'm saved and I've got a home in glory. If you know him relationally, you're strong, and the word abides in you. Let's bring the train in. As the band comes up, you're an overcomer because you're forgiven for God's glory, and you're good. You know the one true God. If you're not sure of that one, I want you to settle that in a moment. Pastors will be waiting to receive you. Miss Cindy and I will be over here. Other counselors, men and women, will be ready. Wouldn't it be cool to get your freedom on Independence Day? <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. You'd never forget the day of your salvation. You have victory over the wicked one. You're strong, and the word of God abides in you. So with our media presence out there, we can't show you videos. I can't show you Mandisa. Uh, I couldn't show you Whitney a few weeks ago, or we would have been pulled out of all of our accounts. They don't allow us to do that with copyright, and I understand it. But rather than you hearing me try to squeak out Mandisa, I've got somebody much much, much better. And I appreciate Miss Holly being willing. Our middle daughter is going to come. And she's just going to start at the bridge. And I just want you to really let the lyrics soak in. If you don't know this song, you ought to get to know it. If you do know it, sing along if you'd like. Miss Holly, bless us with this song.
Just remain standing. I'm going to have her sing at the end of every sermon, man. I ain't never got to stand an ovation for a sermon. Thank y'all. Hold tight. Fix your eyes on the one who holds your life. There's nothing he can't do. He's telling you, don't quit. Don't give in. You are not down. You are not defeated. You don't have to give up. You don't have to give in to that temptation. You are strong with Christ, and the word abides in you. And what am I saying to you, Christian, man or woman or boy or girl? I am declaring to you on the authority and truth of the word of God, you are an overcomer. All right, let's pray. You need to settle it today. If you're not sure, if you say, I don't know that I know that I know, pastors are going to be on the sides right over here. After the service, the invitation keeps going because Miss Cindy and I will be at a little kiosk right over there. We'll have men and women counselors ready, and they have all this great biblical material to share with you. You won't be long. I promise. Look, you're getting out early, y'all. It's 11-11. The Methodist ain't out yet. I'm telling you. You're getting out early. So, you got time. Wouldn't it be terrible? It'd be terrible if God says, Today is your day of freedom, and you walk away. Wouldn't that be a slap in the face of the one who paid it all for you? Why don't you come and say yes to Jesus today? Why don't you come back to him today? Could I ask my prayer warriors when I'm done praying up here, when I say amen, I'm gonna go back and pray for you. Could I ask my prayer warriors to come and spread across this altar? And make it easier for those making decisions to come too. But you could spread across this altar and you could pray for the state of this nation. Does anybody think this nation is getting closer to Christ in these days? Then why don't we pray? Why don't we humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways? Why don't we cry out to God so that he'll hear from heaven, forgive our sin and cleanse our land? Why don't we pray for this nation? We claim to be one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Why don't we cry out to that creator God who gave us the unalienable rights? Why don't we cry out as Christian people today? Why don't we do that? We don't need to hide the cross and the flag, but we need to say, God, please put your hand of blessing back on this land. When I say amen, it's open, you come. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we pray today. We pray for the state of this, your land. We pray the land of the free and the home of the brave. We're grateful for the men and women who have made such sacrifice. We're grateful most of all for the sacrifice of Christ. I'm praying that some will come and give their life to Jesus here today. I'm praying that some will come and be a warrior of prayer for this nation today. I'm praying for some that will come back to you today. And I'm praying for some that will say, you know, I'm ready to be a part of grace. What do I need to do next? We got people ready to share all of that but they got to take a step. Thank you, Lord, for calling us overcomers in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open.